On another note, I bet you're kind of getting excited for the Super Bowl. That's a big deal for you, I know. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I'm thrilled beyond belief, you know. Well, I am. I love baseball, so. Well, good morning, everybody. We are continuing this series, One People, and I think it's wonderful, actually, as we're hearing about opportunities and moving forward together as a church in the journey that we share, that we're thinking about the people of God, one people. Who we are points to what we should do. And we've been uh, reflecting on uh, being a people called for God's purposes. Abraham, a couple of weeks ago. And then last weekend, the people who remember who they are, Moses. Uh, and this weekend, we're going to dive into a pivotal moment in Israel's history when they asked for a king. I want you to consider this scenario. There is a people movement that rises up Uh, There's a leadership crisis and they go to their leader and they say, we don't want you to lead us and we don't want your son to lead us either. Does that sound kind of familiar at all with all that has been going on these last 10 days or so in Egypt? But this story does not emerge from uh, Egypt, but from the story of Israel. So let's jump in here. One people distinctively different. First Samuel 8. First Samuel 8. When Samuel grew old... He appointed his sons as judges for Israel. The name of his firstborn was Joel, and the name of his second was Abijah, and they served at Beersheba. But his sons did not walk in his ways. They turned aside after dishonest gain and accepted bribes and perverted justice. So all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah. They said to him, you are old, and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint a king to lead us, such as all the other nations have. But when they said, give us a king to lead us, this displeased Samuel. So he prayed to the Lord and the Lord told him, listen to all that the people are saying to you. It is not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king. As they have done from the day I brought them up out of Egypt until this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are doing to you. Now listen to them, but warn them solemnly and let them know what the king who will reign over them will do. And then chapter 12, chapter 12 and verse 18 Then Samuel called upon the Lord, and that same day the Lord sent thunder and rain. So all the people stood in awe of the Lord and of Samuel. And the people all said to Samuel, Pray to the Lord your God for your servants, so that we will not die, for we have added to all our other sins the evil of asking for a king. Do not be afraid, Samuel replied. You have done all this evil, yet do not turn away from the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. Do not turn away after useless idols. They can do you no good, nor can they rescue you, because they are useless. You might say that for the British people, it was our Kennedy moment. Our Kennedy moment. It was uh, that fateful day, 31st of August, 1997. I was up quite late watching the news, when suddenly a news flash hit the screen. The reporter looked rather shocked. Diana, Princess of Wales had been involved in that terrible car accident in a tunnel in Paris, and within hours we heard that she uh, had died and others with her. It was our Kennedy moment, and there was an, an unexpected outpouring of grief that surrounded that whole occasion. Thousands of bouquets of flowers uh, arriving at the gates of Buckingham Palace. It seemed 
like the British people wanted their princess. For a while it seemed like they wanted their princess to actually be their queen. And they, there was this cry of grief that was unanticipated. Around 3,000 years ago, Israel was calling out for a king. They desperately wanted a king. There'd been a leadership crisis for about 300 years or so. Things were gradually getting worse. Samuel was getting older. His sons were corrupt. And now this whole thing emerges into a crisis and the people say, give us a king. Now, now that was wrong for a couple of reasons. It was wrong, first of all, because God had always decreed that he would be their king. Israel was to be a theocracy, unique among the nations. The language of Exodus consistently is the language of kingship and subjects. In fact, the Ten Commandments read like a covenant charter between a ruler and his people. Not only would God be their king, but they would be his lighthouse people, to quote the prophet Isaiah. They would live in such a way that would show the planet what life with God could be like. Isaiah 42, I am God, I've called you to live right and well. I've taken responsibility for you, kept you safe. I've set you among my people to bind them to me and provided you as a lighthouse to the nations to make a start at bringing people into the open, into light, opening blind eyes, releasing prisoners from dungeons, emptying the dark prisons. I am God. I want you to see this picture. The way it was supposed to be was God and a lighthouse people. Scroll forward to Jesus and listen to him in the Sermon on the Mount, suddenly talking about a kingdom. Seek first the kingdom of God, announcing that he was now the king. And then within a few sentences, turning to those ordinary people and saying, now you are the light of the world. Do you see the parallels? King, lighthouse people. Kingdom, lighthouse people. It's the way God intends it to be. And so what I want us to do, and I want to warn you that in the next 20 minutes and 19 seconds, we are going to work fairly hard because we need to dig deep into this story. And we also need to understand a much maligned word, which so often loses its meaning and its power. And that is the word holy or holiness. So let's dive in. If you're following along in the bulletin, let's take a look. First of all, we need to hear the call to non-conformity. We need to hear the call to non-conformity, the call to be different. Non-conformity, be different. Look at the mentality that's expressed in verse 5. Now appoint a king to lead us, such as all the other nations have. In other words... We want to be like everyone else. We want to go with the flow. We want to fit in. Everyone else can have this, so why can't we? They wanted to be like everybody else, and I'd like to suggest that so do we. That's, that's human nature. The fashions that we are currently wearing today are not simply because we have selected uh, that we will dress this way, but those fashions are determined and they change as you go through the years. We might be thankful to God that they change um, over the years. Does anyone remember the hideous era of the 70s? When a fashion demon roamed the earth 
And great ugliness broke out everywhere. It was really terrible. The Victorians, I don't know what they were thinking. The ladies used to wear what was called a bustle. So if you think about that, when a woman asked her husband, Honey, does my rear end look big in this? The answer she was really looking for was, absolutely, babe. My, how things have changed over the years. We dress according to fashion. We speak according to what we hear. Sometimes people say to me, uh, you know, they, they make a comment about my accent. And I say, you know, in Timberline, I say, and I like your accent too. And they say, we don't have an accent. Of course you have an accent. Everyone has an accent. An accent is simply the way that you speak. I speak this way because where I was raised in Alabama, I heard... <laughs> People constantly talking like this, and so I talk like this. It's all about conformity. And the danger is, the danger is that we can adopt a worldview out of imitation rather than reflection. This was a big challenge for Israel. They were called to be different because their God was so utterly different. The theologians have a phrase to describe this. They, they talk about God being the great stranger. So unique is he. Who is like unto you, says the psalmist. And so the great stranger, he's so different, calls his people to be strangers. First Peter, uh, first Peter uh, three times, there's this idea of us being aliens and strangers in the earth because we follow the God who in this context is the great stranger. Uh, I heard recently that they're, they're doing a remake of the John Wayne movie. Have you heard about that? True Grit. If I could have a part in that movie, and frankly I think I should, I would like to go through those saloon double doors. You know those doors? I know they'd spring back on me and probably break something, but I would like to walk in there with a big sheriff's badge and throw open those doors and say... Howdy, stranger. <laughs> I sense from your response I've not been selected for the part. <laughs> we are called to live as strangers so that the world looks at us and says, Hey, stranger. And that's tough. It was tough for Israel. Did you know that they went into the land of Canaan, which had a religion that was very parallel to their own, where sheep and cattle were offered in worship, where uh, there was a priesthood. There were 12 priestly families in Canaan. They had scribes to look after their sacred writings. Their, their religious year was based on the agricultural calendar, as was Israel's. They had psalmists who would sing liturgies in their ceremonies. They had prophets who would allegedly speak on behalf of their gods. And they worshipped a calf. They worshipped a bull. And so isn't it fascinating that Moses, Exodus 32, is away on the mountain talking to God. And what does Israel so quickly get into? They start worshipping a golden calf. Because syncretism, the mixing of different religions, philosophies and worldviews together, it's a virus that strikes rapidly. Are we marching to a different drumbeat? Are our priorities different? Are our ambitions, the way we spend our money, the way we deal with people, are they different? What about the way we approach politics? I would like to suggest to us that as non-conformists, 
that should mean that we are hesitant citizens who reflect rather than rush in. Whatever our political views, we're living in a Twitter culture where debate and discussion has died and big issues are often reduced to less than 140 characters. And the danger is that Christians can unthinkingly buy into the latest stuff that's floating around the internet rather than engaging brain and thinking these things through. Not just going with the flow. We are by nature those who say no. I'm a, I'm a non-conformist. I'm going to think this one through. Are we thoughtlessly going with the flow? Secondly, secondly, we need to debunk the myths that surround holiness and be healthy. We need to debunk the myths that surround holiness and be healthy. Look at, at uh, verse 9 of chapter 8. Now listen to them. But warn them solemnly and let them know what the king who will reign over them will do. God was saying to Samuel, tell the people that this is going to end badly, at least in this current window of history. You see, everybody, God's way is not just the right way. It's the best way. Most of us know that holiness is a biblical idea. 1,400 of the 2,005 verses that the Apostle Paul wrote, 1,400 of them have something to say about holiness or godliness or Christian character. But we need to know that holiness is great. Holiness is healthy. Holiness is the best way. We need to clear out some of the dross that surrounds the idea of holiness. Some people seem to think that being holy is about being pious. Never smiling. You ever met Christians like that? You're not sure whether they're deeply spiritual or they're wrestling with abdominal cramps. They're kind of... Sort of oh yes, I, I love Jesus. And I've got joy that's profoundly deep. You know what I'm talking about? People who just, you know, they're nervous of fun before death. They're the kind of frozen chosen. Jesus debunked that whole idea. He said, when you fast, don't look somber as the hypocrites do. Don't associate piety with some kind of poker-faced expression or, or thoughtless rules and regulations where, we, where we, we wave our brains goodbye in our spirituality and we just follow certain rules and regulations because that's what we've been told. And have you noticed that they keep changing? They keep changing. Did you know that when a certain musical instrument was introduced into the life of churches generally, there was a great outcry. People said, this is disgraceful. Then end of the wedge. It's shocking. I wonder what musical instrument that would be. Would it be the guitar? Would it be the drums? No, we're talking the organ. When the organ was first introduced, there were lots of people who said, this is disgraceful. It's associated with music halls and drunkenness. Now it's a symbol of traditional worship. These things change. Legalism is a dumbing down of holiness, reducing it to superficiality, where we check certain boxes and say, well, I must be okay then, because I don't do those things. And that's a dumbing down of holiness. Or the idea that we've just got to get away from the big bad world. The very word Pharisee means to separate and we are called to be morally separate, distinct, but not physically separate. The truth is that holiness begins in the mind. There's nothing superficial about it. The key is in our 
thinking. Romans 12 and verse 2. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It starts with a healthy way of thinking. The word repentance is not just a word about saying sorry. It's a broad word that actually means to embrace a whole new way of thinking, a whole new agenda, worldview. A friend of mine was interviewed on radio and the interviewer was kind of hostile. He said, you Christians, you're just, you're just brainwashed, aren't you? You're just brainwashed. And my friend very wisely said, yeah, you're absolutely right, we are. But at least we know what we're washing our brains in. (laughs) That's why you're going to keep hearing us talking about Scripture, because as we wash our minds in the Word, they are renewed. Just the day before he was executed, Ted Bundy gave an interview with Dr. James Dobson. Some of you remember how he pointed to violent pornography as being part of his downfall, not blaming it for his outrageous and unspeakable crimes, but pointing to the demise, partly to the demise. Raised in a Christian home, Mr. Bundy, and yet such terrible tragedy resulted from his life. And after the interview was broadcast, the media went crazy. They said, how ridiculous to think that what you watch on a screen could actually affect your behaviour. Oh, really? So how come later this afternoon, corporate America will pay $3 million for a 30-second commercial in the Super Bowl? That's a hundred grand a second. Don't you think that they believe that those dollars will change our behaviour? Hello! Of course it does. Do we have healthy minds? Thirdly, thirdly, the outworking of authentic holiness be a world changer. The outworking of authentic holiness be a world changer. Look at this, verse 3. They turned aside after dishonest gain and accepted bribes and perverted justice. Look at this, because the first sign of moral decadence was in the social arena because there was injustice. Leviticus 19 is the foundational text for the idea of holiness. Be holy because I am holy. And then it goes on to talk about caring for the elderly, looking after those with disabilities, feeding the poor, caring for the marginalised and doing business with honesty. In fact, in Amos, in the book of Amos, God says, stop singing, I hate it. Stop it. I'm tired of it. Let justice Roll on like a river, righteousness like a never-ending stream. John Wesley said, the gospel of Christ knows of no religion but social religion, no holiness but social holiness. You see, Israel's God was a radical God of justice and care. Israel was surrounded by nations who worshipped gods, who were gods of power, who primarily channeled their power through macho men who were warriors in charge. And Israel's God stands with the orphan and the widow and the stranger. And he wants our holiness to impact a world, not to hide away from it. We don't have to worry about somehow neurotically being contaminated by the world. There is a challenge there, but God calls us to toxically affect our world, not just be affected by it. So Jesus touches the leper. 
And he doesn't get leprosy, but the leper is cleansed. And Jesus bumps into the gathering demoniac who is ceremonially unclean for about four or five different reasons. But he, he is not made unclean by the demoniac, but the demoniac is made clean by him. You see, holiness is a toxic force. Which is why we need Christians to be completely connected and involved in their world. How do we, how do we play our part in making our world a better place? And then the last thing, the fourth thing is, and I'm so glad about this, the offer of redemptive grace for our failures, the invitation for us to be free. Redemptive grace for our failures, we can be free. Look at verse 20, it's a strange verse. Do not be afraid, Samuel replied, you have done all this evil, yet do not turn away from the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. That's interesting, and we've got to get this. Because Samuel is saying, you have messed up, but don't let your failure smother you so that you will continue to mess up, but find hope. Again, are you like me? If you mess up, you, you feel discouraged. Like recently, I, I bumped into this piece of cheesecake <laughs> and, and it spoke to me. 1,100 calories. It's, it's, it said to me, Jeffrey, eat me. I was predestined before the beginning of the planet to be eaten by you. You need this. You have earned this. Consume me now. No, I said. Get behind me, cheesecake. But it whispered, it's seductive whispers. And I thought, do you do this? I thought, just a little piece. 273 calories. So I take a small piece. And then as I eat the small piece, a voice in my head says, Ha! You're a cheesecake failure. You've lost the battle. Go ahead and eat the whole thing. Yes, I cry. <laughs> See, some of us, you're laughing at me in the battle of the cheesecake, but we do that. Uh, yeah, I've messed up. Yeah, I, that's me. Uh, I'm just a mess. The day I was born, they said, you'll never be anything. And I've lived under that shadow, you're thinking. And Samuel is saying, you have messed up, but don't mess up more. And something incredible happens because God, who is the Redeemer, flips this whole situation around. It's fascinating because the idea of human kingship was the worst idea Israel, or one of the worst ideas they ever had, and God flipped that around and turned it into one of the best ideas. Because the, the wonderful reign of David and Solomon came, the glory days for Israel. See, that's what God does. He takes our mess-ups and flips them around. He's a redeemer. That which is meant for evil turns out for good. That doesn't give us a license to go out and sin our brains out. Yeah, great! I want to see God's redemptive power in my life. No. But he turns it around, David and Solomon, then he turns it around again, and where does Jesus come from but the line of David? Then he turns it around again, and Jesus is executed on a cross at the hands of evil men, but he turns it around, and that which was meant for evil becomes the agency of our redemption. Because, you see, when we bring our stuff to God... The chains of shame can be broken. We find hope again and maybe, please God, he might turn things around so even though, even though we failed and messed up, 
somehow we can learn lessons, something positive can come out of even those moments or episodes of foolishness. Eugene Eugene Peterson says, when we sin and mess up our lives, we find that God doesn't go off and leave us. He enters into our trouble and saves us. Maybe at a very serious level, maybe we come today, some of us smothered in shame, failure. And Samuel says to the people, yeah, you did, you did sin, but now serve God faithfully. Don't allow Don't allow your history to determine your future. I need to pause and let that sink in before we rush into another day. Why carry that burden around? I hear Jesus saying, Come unto me, all you that are weary and heavy laden. I'll give you rest the heartbeat of the gospel we can see God's redemptive grace turn our failures around well I having spoken about being different I would like to try something different this morning at this moment in the service let's vote about that how many of you are in favour of that raise your hand for something different righto it is not overwhelmingly carried Frankly, only a minority of you voted yes, but I don't care because I'm in charge. (laughs) Some of you are looking really nervous. It's okay, I'm I'm not going to perform a prophetic dance or anything like that. We often often have a time of response at the end of a message. We bow our heads, don't we, and we raise our hand and respond, and that's good. This morning, I'd like to uh, do something different. I'd like to read you a poem. And... uh, While I'm reading you the poem, I've shared this poem here before. While I'm reading it, if you want to respond to this message, I'm going to ask you to respond during the poem by standing to your feet if you're able. It might be that you're saying, I know that my head needs to become healthy again and I need to start considering what I put into my head. It might be that your response is, God, how can I be an agent who changes the world? What's my part in that? It might be that you're saying, I've been going with the flow thoughtlessly. I want to live distinctively again. Please know two things. First of all, don't wait till the end because I won't be saying at the end, if you want to respond now, do so. Respond during this. Secondly, if that scares you, I just have heard that one person has already responded. I mean, that's pretty quick. That would be me. I am standing to my feet right now because I want this holiness to go deeper in my life. I want God to dig out entrenched ideas that I might have just subconsciously imbibed and take this this Jesus worldview deeper in me. And so as I as I read these words, if you want to make a response at whatever time you would like, uh, please feel free to do so. This is Humanifesto by Gerard Kelly. I want to be a grace gorilla, no longer a chameleon of karma. The time has come to stand out from the crowd. I want to give forgiveness a fighting chance of freeing me to live in love 
and live it out loud. I want to drink deep of the foolishness of wisdom instead of swallowing the wisdom of fools. To find a source in the deeper minds of meaning. I want to search out the unsearchable, to invoke the invisible, to choose the truths the TV hypnotists aren't screening. No camouflage, no entourage, no smoothly fitting in. I want a faith that goes further than face value and a beauty that goes deeper than my skin. I want to be untouched by my possessions instead of being possessed by what I touch. To test the taste of having nothing to call mine. To hold consumption's cravings back. To be content with luck or lack. To live as well on water as on wine. I want to spend myself on those I think might need me. Not spend all I think I need on myself. I want my heart to be willing to make house calls. Let those whose rope is at an end find in me a faithful friend. Let me be known as one who rebuilds broken walls. No camouflage. No entourage. No smoothly fitting in. I want a faith that goes further than face value and a beauty that goes deeper than my skin. I want to be centered outside the circle. I want to be chiseled from a different seam. I want to be seduced by another story and drawn into a deeper dream. To be anchored in an undiscovered ocean, to revolve around an unfamiliar sun, a boombox tuned to an alternate station, a bullet fired from a different gun. No camouflage, no entourage, no smoothly fitting in. I want a faith that goes further than face value and a beauty that goes deeper than my skin. Lord, thank you that you are so utterly different and yet you came to us. You are not watching us from a distance. But you are Emmanuel, God, with us. You know why it is that we are responding. You know what reverberates in our hearts as we wait before you in these moments. Cleanse our minds. Give us diligence to be centuries of our own thinking. Show us how we can bring the kiss of God to a broken world the justice of God that is more important to you than any religious activity we might engage in. Give us the ability to not just fit in but to live such lives that those that we meet will say hello stranger what is it about you that is different and is beautiful. We whisper our prayers to you. We thank you for your holy presence here. Thank you for your grace. Finally, we bring our failures to you. Redeem and turn things around. 
that we might not be smothered by hopelessness but live hopefully holy in the days that we have we agree together in Jesus name Amen those words reverberating in our hearts about your greatness we go into a new week help us to live prophetically beautifully for the glory of your name we agree together in Jesus name everyone said Amen, hey enjoy the big basketball game today and have a great weekend, our prayer team are here in uh, both our venues we can pray with you, we would love to do that God bless you, thanks for being here